Hello, and welcome to Resolve, an afterplay show. This is an after show for a role-playing game that does not have an actual play, where we tell you all the details of our game so you don't have to listen to it. Hi, I'm Sammy. I'll be your host. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Asiri Amoli, the Hope of the Abyss. Joining me is my wonderful co-host, Alex. Hi, I'm Alex. I play Moogle Avatar of Alexander Smog. Both of us use he, him pronouns. We are joined today by D. Hello, I'm D, and I play Geyser, a clown who's being helped to know better. You can use whatever pronouns as long as they're not it, and Geyser uses she, her pronouns. We're also joined today by Dan. Hi, my name is Dan. I use he, him pronouns, and I am the game master for this campaign. All right, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Now that we're all here, Alex, why don't you tell us about the actual play? Previously, in a feat, Geyser retrieves the scales she previously lost from a large fish, visits a frail but recovering Sierra, and passes them off to be researched. Tao awakes to an envelope holding a memory card with the Lost History app, which they share with Tara and Smog. After their breakfast, Worldcore re-enters the world of song and catches up with instrument Tao at the Spitvalve Saloon. While checking to the desert, they come across the masked stranger, Symphonius and Geyser's discarded mask. At Pony's asking, he joins the group to Bounty Hunt. Near the pyramid, at night, Symphonius tries to escape the party and points to a dune to distract them. While no one is distracted, Smog blows away the dune with magic, revealing bandits. To avoid fighting, Worldcore teleports to the front of the pyramid. Tao finds a musical engraving which reveals an entryway to the pyramid after Worldcore performs it. Above the entryway, in gold-etched letters, they see, Of the Many, Orchestra. Alright, so now that you've heard the actual play, let's do a deep dive into the session. We start off this session with Geyser's shenanigans. Of course, when Geyser's involved, there always has to be some shenanigans. Although, these were pretty tame. <laughs> All things considered. <laughs> as as far, far as Geyser goes, this is like baby's first making actual friend steps. And I don't know how I feel. I feel kind of like weird about it, but also happy that there's some progression. It feels like I don't feel stuck anymore like I did using the whole geyser is very interested in everything in the ocean to have common interest with other people and try and relate to them is kind of satisfying i won't lie it is still funny that she's trying to shove research material into people's faces (laughs) (laughs) well you have to understand geyser has no human peers on planet congo her friends are other imaginary friends (laughs) 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 who have also been displaced discarded very poor socialization after all so obviously if geyser wants you to see something she's gonna put it where you can see it It really well in the beginning of the scene geyser 
walks into the room and leans really close to the <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure this man who has just gone through trauma has really, really <laughs> wants this clown two inches from their face. <laughs> I try to make sure each time to highlight just how uncomfortable Geyser's actions are making people. <laughs> this is part of the magic. I have to give it to Sierra, patience of a saint. <laughs> well let's think about tara's age when she was training with sierra he must have trained other people i think he's just used to working with children and people with childlike sensibilities spooky upstart individuals that don't have a sense of manners (laughs) yet (laughs) yeah sierra seems like a very good teacher quite frankly more reasonable than he should be (laughs) Very even keeled. <laughs> Unflappable. Like, you're a weirdo, but I guess that's what we're doing today. <laughs> yeah, by far, Sierra is one of my favorite NPCs. Daniel knows this, but I have a very strong fondness for grumpy old men. <laughs> so when that character archetype is portrayed in some fashion, I'm like, yes, you are my new friend. <laughs> I also want to remind our listeners that when Geyser first saw Sierra, she tried to eat him. (laughs) (laughs) Very important distinction. How far we've come. (laughs) I mean, you're still not respecting his personal bubble, but I think we've made some progress. We've gone from trying to bite that old man to... I could learn from this guy, in the very least, about science. It only took a hundred some odd hours of play. (laughs) We got there. (laughs) Oh, man. We actually are past a hundred hours of play. That's wild. (laughs) It's a lot of fun reacting to different people. I think one of the most fun parts of this campaign is that nobody really reacts to Geyser in the way that Geyser expects. Everybody, again, I'm reaching back to the very, very beginning, you know, with the Thanos being like, you know, I like you. You're very confident. <laughs> Let me throw this boulder at these people. <laughs> and then everyone else going like, don't do that, but also come with me on this adventure. <laughs> I think our only named characters who are really close to normal people are maybe Torai and Aura. Otherwise, like, significant named characters are all, like, wacky in their own right. They understand people who are also off-kilter in some way. There are definitely some eccentric people here. I think a recent addition, Jon Snow, regular at Clams Karaoke Bar, they seem to be down with anything. Which, I mean, as someone who's probably habitually drunk, they're probably just kind of going with the flow pretty normally, I suppose. Jon Snow actually was the one person I got attached to. But that's only because Kit Harrington is really beautiful. <laughs> yes. That's the only reason. Honestly, that's the only reason why we all wanted Jon Snow around in this game. Let's be real. <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea who any of these people are, so I could not put a face. <laughs> just look at a picture of Kit Harrington right now. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Experience the sad, wistful eyes of Kit Harrington. Yes, that's the thing that I love about him the most. Like, he just looks so melancholy about everything. And I'm just like, I can fix you. Like, I can I give can you hope. You. <laughs> I feel like he also wears the facial hair very well. 
This is also true. He's just he's just really pretty. I disagree with everything you just I don't find this man attractive at all. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good thing you didn't know how he looked because then we couldn't have had him around. (laughs) (laughs) He's so hot. You're breaking my heart. (laughs) Why is he sweaty in every photo? (laughs) Oh, that's wild because he doesn't look sweaty in the first photo I see from Google. Because I was like, I wonder what Sammy's going to (laughs) see. Um, his hair is very gelled in all of these photos. No, but his skin. Uh, anyway, this is not. <laughs> but yeah, back to. Um... <laughs> it was such a good example of someone behaving relatively normally, but we can't keep this in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of anyone else that's been named has acted like normal, a normal human person. Yeah, I mean, if we count El Rayun as normal, no. <laughs> well, given the circumstances, I don't know. I would say lone, not normal. El Rayun is trying to be normal now. <laughs> yes, sure. At varying levels of success, Powder is just like a hiker. So I, I, I can, I've met that person in real life. So Powder is kind of normal to me. Powder, <laughs> I describe as chronically outdoors. Yeah. but that's still within the realm of plausibility. Powder also fucking hates Geyser. <laughs> Powder does not love Geyser. That's the only person that genuinely has <laughs> a adversarial reaction, not just a negative reaction to Geyser's antics. This bitch again. <laughs> so my fan theory for Powder is that she escaped the Spider-Verse, and that's why she's slinging everywhere. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. I had not considered that. <laughs> Powder has a few references, and um, but it is not Spider-Man. <laughs> Even though they're technically not human, the Owanzu in the world of spirit, I feel, had at least fairly believable reactions for people living in a rural setting. That's fair, but I feel like most people aren't furries. They're not furries! <laughs> <laughs> They were normal up to the point that we established that they just had massive orgies. <laughs> oh, dear. the adult parties! <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna get us there. Here's a transition. No. <laughs> Speaking of massive orgies, I'm sure there's a lot of interesting history Tao needs to find out no, from this new app. No, 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 no. <laughs> That was supposed to be the transition. I need to run a crash course on segways. This is a, a mess. <laughs> so yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> we're gonna have to like remove ten minutes. <laughs> Tao wakes up with the gift promised by the master, and it turns out to be a lovely little purple envelope with a phone SD card in it. This lets them boot up. An app called The Lost History, which has the information promised, but there's a ton of it. It could not be contained in a book, as Tao was hoping. When that was, like, the request made, it wasn't like I had an object in mind to serve as, like, the symbolic way to transact that history. It just it needed to come back in some form. There's, like, possibly in the order of maybe a couple thousand years of history that's been pretty obfuscated. 
that's a lot of information, but wouldn't it be interesting if it could interact? Because it was Tao that requested yeah. this. So but wouldn't it be interesting if it was used through the cell phone that Tao had? I know this isn't a thing, but I really want there to be like a clippy assistant that is the master. Of course, I don't think we want the master to be in the data because then things would be horribly corrupted. But I do think yeah. it would be cute. When you mentioned that to me, it's a fun idea, but I have put the restriction that no version of the Master can leave the world of the Lost. And even going between worlds without organs is already difficult. In the very least, it wouldn't be the Master communicating. No, I just want it to be like an annoying office assistant that has like two <laughs> programming functions. <laughs> we should ask Zach if Tao always has the same phone between the different instances. Oh man, that's going to be really interesting. Would that be then in the world of spirit in the world of ages, which ostensibly do not have cell phones? That's what makes Tao stand out. That's the thing that always unifies the Tao is the cell phone. Yeah, I could, I could see something like that. It doesn't even have to function. It just has to be there. <laughs> it could just be like a very fancy paperweight in one of these ancient worlds. It just looks neat. I just appreciate Tao waking up, getting this information immediately emailing it to Terra. Just, like, no thoughts. Just, here we go, attachment. Done. That did throw me for a loop, and I'm, I'm gonna work with that. That was through, like, a direct line of communication, because Tao had familiarized themselves with Sequence Charter's communication networks. And this Tao is also from this world. They have yeah. more of a familiarity and attachment to Terra than other versions of Tao might. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Cam's going to be looking over that. There's a lot to look over. <laughs> oh boy. I do, oh boy, I do appreciate that the first thing Tao looks up is the governance, which of course brings up thousands upon thousands of results. Putting this together, I'm like, I could try to just have a catalog of all of the history I can think of, but I feel like that would be a lot of exposition that would not be needed. In the moment, I thought maybe an app would be useful it could be a way to ask questions, and I could provide that information to the specifics. The information would be better if there's more specifics to the question. Well, it also makes it so it's much easier to copy than we might have thought. So we're going to be able to put as many eyes as we want on this. Who knows who Tara is going to trust with all of this, but if she wanted yeah. to, she could send that to everybody. Absolutely. So after that, we have a series of scenes that's mostly people getting breakfast in whatever manner they normally would. I keep thinking of fucking Smug just throwing their bowl of oatmeal onto the carpet when they're done. They live in shag carpet! Do you know how fucking disgusting that is? <laughs> that's the first thing we gotta talk about. Ew! <laughs> Smog's breakfast of champions. Ew! <laughs> Get some oatmeal and berries, and then toss that shit where nobody's ever going to find it. Step into some oatmeal while they're fighting shag carpet. That's nasty, <laughs> and I'm going to call, like, human health services. <laughs> Look, it was a particularly trying dream after yeah. a particularly trying day. This is not something that Smug would normally do, but it's just a lot of stress. You need to vent it somehow. On a scale of 1 to 10, how ready is Smug to get the core from the world of the lust so that he never has to go there ever again. 
<laughs> and get like a finally a restful night's sleep. <laughs> it's not that so much as he doesn't think Teddy deserves to be there. Mm-hmm. That's like a, a purgatory and um, someone needs to escape. <laughs> I think that will actually be interesting thinking about Smog's relationship to the world of Lost going forward because there's that relationship that Moogles have to their own like Esper space, their own dream magic world where they were kicked out and having that attachment to Teddy. Cause I think right now it's a heart link with Teddy still yeah. could change how Smog thinks about Moogles no longer being espers. Oh, that's actually a good point. Cause Teddy has been the one that has gone between the various parts of the world of the lost before the organs have been retrieved. And in that way, Teddy has like kind of a similar role to the Moogles from Smog's world. Yep. They're like a lesser deity. <laughs> I don't know if Teddy has that much power, though. I think the way that Smog thinks of gods because of the espers is on a wide range. Like, I, I tend to think about, because I've been playing so much Persona, like the Japanese gods even have a point in the game they're talking about the, like, what is it, 5 million, 8 million gods that saying, and it's not supposed to be the exact amount, but mm-hmm. just to show, like, yeah. they believe in a wide range of things. Mm-hmm. So I think Smog's belief is on that level sometimes. I do really like playing around with the idea or reimagining the idea of what it means to have a thing that is a god, especially with what was going on in the world of spirit. That was very much meant to challenge the traditional notion of what a godly entity is like. Oh, after my own heart. Because <laughs> if there's nothing I like doing more is playing around with metaphysical spaces and interpreting what that power does to people and why. I feel like that's big brain territory. <laughs> that's not my forte. D, come with me into the big brain world. <laughs> D, honestly, all you have to do is play one Persona game and you'll be there with us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just play Persona, okay. I have to level up my theorizing and connecting. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about all of the characters waking up, I realized that well, I could have them wake up and regroup off screen. I was also sort of interested in the smaller vignettes of what a character's morning is like, because I don't know if we've explored that yet. A little slice of life. We got a little bit of that when we were taking an extended break in sequence charter, but not through the same lens. And I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I would like to see some of these extended a little bit. I know. Didn't want to turn this into like a whole session of just people eating breakfast and then getting together. <laughs> Especially because this wasn't intended to be like a full visit back to yeah. Sequence Charter. This was a break in the middle of a world. I try to help things keep moving where I can. I just want to quickly say a little bit about what each person is doing for their like breakfast scenes other than Smog. Pony has a little tablet that gets her a message from Smog because he's the one who sends the call out to rejoin in the World Travel Lab. And she munches on some hay and gets some water in there. Isiri wakes up in the tank and looks around for some people before heading out to the cafeteria and talks back to a speaker that tells her where to go. <laughs> Geyser is at the playground watching people, but also sensibly bothering them <laughs> and has to ask one of the parents where to go and just runs directly that direction as soon as she's told. Terrifying. <laughs> Again, Dan mentioned that he tries to portray that Geyser's actions are making people uncomfortable. <laughs> and Geyser, again, was making people uncomfortable maybe four sessions ago. 
we've all agreed with the lore that Geyser walks the streets at night because she <laughs> she doesn't really need to sleep. Yeah. She is a dream. She's the product of a dream. Geyser also doesn't eat, quote unquote, in the traditional sense. Wouldn't be having breakfast. It's early morning and some parents are having their kids at the playground probably trying to burn off their energy before noon so they actually go to bed that night and geyser's just staring at them <laughs> and geyser turned people watching into an olympic sport <laughs> into an extreme into sport. a hunting game <laughs> the parents are like what the fuck geyser's not doing anything or like pranking them but studying them very science mode anthropology time i don't know but uh <laughs> you can imagine that that would be uncomfortable for parents oh, yeah. with their children <laughs> that a, a random clown <laughs> is staring at them <laughs> at the playground <laughs> one of the parents is more disturbed than the other and for some reason geyser decides to speak to that parent when she gets the alert on her tablet from smog i viewed that as you playing with the concept of breakfast because of geyser feeding off of negative energy so you were like i need to feed i'm gonna mess with the person who doesn't want me here and be in that theme that also fits but I will say I wasn't thinking about that. I just thought it would be funny. <laughs> Negative emotions aside, Geyser's also drawn to stronger reactions. Mm -hmm. That's part of her overall mythos. Geyser wants to be the most important person to people. But in her mind, she's determined that the most important people are the people that people hate or at least are strongly annoyed by. Yeah. <laughs> if someone had an extremely positive reaction to Geyser, I have no doubt that she'd latch onto that too, but just has not figured out that positive emotions can also be strong. <laughs> Again, with the big brain shit, that's that's all you, <laughs> you and Sammy, and I appreciate that. I can keep that in my mind for next time. Um. <laughs> I thought that was perfect because Geyser relatively recently got the advancement to be a walker in Twilight, which makes dark and light interchangeable with each other. Yeah. So that actually is like a perfect mirror of the fact that Geyser would be open to latching onto those positive emotions too. Geyser's going to start haunting weddings. Oh. <laughs> Wedding crashers. <laughs> <laughs> if geyser were to crash a wedding she would start juggling at the reception hall and then when everyone's like in confusion throw a ball at someone and then leave <laughs> it takes the cake <laughs> geyser has a hell of an arm <laughs> geyser has picked up a pension for throwing things at people <laughs> I've not been keeping track, but it has at least been, like, once per world, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I liked everybody's little cute vignettes of, of their breakfast, and then everybody's being normal, like, oh, I'm having breakfast, let's go be my friends, and Kaiser's just, like, Forrest Gump losing his... 
Breakers booking it. <laughs> I can't believe we referenced Forrest Gump, a movie I have not seen again on this podcast. <laughs> oh, now we know what the plug is going to be. <laughs> Watch it on VHS today. Hell yeah, you know, brother. <laughs> Geyser was wary first of Tao, because back in the World Travel Lab, Tao was talking about how they would not be joining the party to go to another world, but the other Tao in that will be joining them. And that yeah. sort of set Geyser off on everybody that's changed. <laughs> Geyser literally goes, y'all are doing all this transformation shit, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. First is Smog, who loses juice and has the pipe, and then becomes a different version of that and brings Alexander like all the way to the forefront. And then there's a Siri who well, Athenos is first after yeah. Smog. Athenos is first, but Athenos left behind. So Geyser doesn't really have to deal with the face of that. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Although I do think it's the most disappointing for Geyser, considering that's the party member that Geyser favors the most. At least the first version. Then there's Tao, who has copies everywhere <laughs> and then there's a siri who is the abyss and guys are just like i don't know if i fuck with that you were a fish lady and you were a little guy and you were a dragon person and now you're all these other things i hate that i hate that about you be the thing that you were <laughs> <laughs> There's a point where guys are not consciously, but it takes too much energy to think about disliking this thing. And so she's just like, fuck it. Yeah. Another person changing reactivates the original issue. <laughs> Which is wild because this is like the second or third time a series been like, if you have any questions, I can answer them. And nobody has taken her up on this. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> It's kind of something special about Geyser in particular. Geyser has been the one to step back and be like, what's actually going on here? That none of this really makes sense. You know, like that, Geyser's, Geyser is poignantly aware that the whole scenario that the party is in, that Geyser is finding herself in, this is weird. I don't know if anything is supposed to be this way, but a lot of people are accepting <laughs> the events as they're going. That is true. And that also has been an issue for Geyser. In the world of ages, that's something that I brought up. You all are not reacting normally to this information, which is audacious coming from Geyser, but it's also like, <laughs> I feel accurate. <laughs> like, <laughs> this guy now is speaking out of a pipe, looks completely different, and it's just like, I'm from a different timeline. I'm on your adventure now. (laughs) And everyone's just like, let's advance to the next stage. We gotta speak to Lone. Like, let's figure out the Ice Wolves. We still got a job. Assyria was not pleased about what happened with Smog, but at the same time, she's also internalized a lot of, well, the group needs my help, so I still gotta go along with everything. She's definitely not pleased about a lot of what's going on. She just hasn't said anything. (laughs) I wonder if part of Geyser's reaction now, though, is having seen four of her teammates make a drastic change, and Smog has prompted this a little bit, being like, do you think you're a god? I wonder if there's an internal worry about self-change for Geyser at this point. 
there is an idea in the back of Geyser's mind that's like, I don't know why everybody's going through these things and could it happen to me? But I think the majority of it is rather surface level. I cannot trust my surroundings. I cannot trust that what I'm seeing is happening is happening. And that is fundamentally shaking Geyser up. Okay, I accepted it this time. Okay, I accepted it the next time. Okay, I I accepted it again. But like, at some point, someone's (laughs) going to have to explain. Well, Asiri has repeatedly said, if you have any questions... I'm willing to answer, but I feel like it's a thing that if you don't know what you don't know, you don't know what to ask. Sure. Yeah. The only question I would even be able to think of is like, why are you the abyss? <laughs> and I don't think the answer to that would be helpful for Geyser in any way. <laughs> so Geyser's wondering, am I going to get body snatched and replaced with someone else? Yeah. Like, yeah. That is an underlying fear that's not the breadth of feeling there geyser in a very twisted way seems to have quite a lot of empathy but it's like in the other direction if that makes (laughs) sense (laughs) what geyser is surprised by is that people are reacting in the way that geyser is used to people reacting when things are like weird or different or wrong Mm -hmm. geyser is used to people not accepting these things people having an adverse reaction when that doesn't happen or when people are able to try to move on past that. It seems to like be puzzling. Although I do have to ask, Geyser does realize we were all summoned from different dimensions, technically. So nothing about the party is normal, really. That part is actually the easiest part. (laughs) (laughs) Wild. Because it happened (laughs) for Geyser. Not the first time Geysers change worlds, so to speak. The previous time it was involuntary, too. <laughs> so I'm here. I guess I'm just gonna do my bullshit. What calmed Di- Geyser down about smog the first time was smog mentioning being from another place and experiencing time passing differently. I don't remember nitty-gritty of that conversation, but guys are really related to being someplace else and having time pass differently and being summoned to a different world or being pulled into a different world. That made things make more sense, and so it was easier to accept and move on. But everybody else, it's not exactly the same story, especially with the way Siri transformed. And because Tao got strung up. <laughs> it was strung up. <laughs> Why do you guys keep saying this? <laughs> it was a very scary situation. I agree with that. They were not strung up. <laughs> My overall point is I'm having a harder time deciding what my reaction should be to the party and it's causing me to default to yolo behavior (laughs) which works out but i feel like i should maybe do some medium brain moves (laughs) all character development is little steps towards progress so i don't think you need to be 
playing the 6D chess in the background to make things go the way you want. Because if you play that much, the random shit other players are going to do is going to interfere with that, right? So it's it's much better to take like an incremental approach to these things because you're interacting with other unknowns. I'm going to be a little vague here, but I'm very excited for the playbook change that I've planned eventually based on some newer developments. For me, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll add like a lot of good context to get me in there. It might help if there's some more opportunities for more of the just one-on-one interactions for characters to learn about each other now after they've metamorphosized, <laughs> as you will. Because <laughs> it's almost like you have to reintroduce yourself in a way. Like Geyser's experiencing, it's hard to parse what do these differences mean? Yeah, the circle back to the scene in question where we all meet up. Tao reveals to everybody that they have immediately sent all this information to Tara. And the series like, hmm, I don't know how good of a plan that was. I don't have a better suggestion for you, but this is a lot of information for them to deal with all at once. It's also notable that the only other person they gave the information to directly was Smog. And they did not seem in favor of giving the information to anyone else in the party. Well, to be fair, two of us can't read, so... Pony seems to be able to now use tech at least enough that stuff can read to her. So might be able to work with it. But yeah, Siri definitely (laughs) wouldn't be able to do anything with this. (laughs) She'd like to listen, though. Yeah. Siri can ask a lot of questions. That's true. Siri has a lot of questions, to be fair. Almost everyone takes a turn looking up stuff. Tao looks up more info on the governance, gets some vague information. Tao also looks up the Abyss, which... The Abyss looks at you back, Tao, don't worry. (laughs) They get vague information regarding that, but does confirm something about it existing in this world on Sequence Charter. Smog looks up Oatmeal. (laughs) 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 And they also look up the the effects of unicorns in this culture later, and it, it... Gives back what we have current knowledge of, which was it was more like a folktale mythical status. Making me describe what happened to oats <laughs> in the thousands of years that passed. It's so funny because I didn't ask you if oatmeal was a thing in Secret Charter. It's just like, I'm eating oatmeal, and then I'm going to search oatmeal to figure out what the history of oatmeal is. And you're like, well, fuck, I guess they brought oatmeal over, didn't they? Didn't they, Alex? Because you already <laughs> ate it. Kind of bowed my hands here, Alex. Wrote <laughs> <laughs> me into a corner. <laughs> I don't know why food is one of the hardest things for me to think about. It's mainly because there's so many possibilities. I don't know if I've fully approached the extent that alien life forms are a thing. We've talked about some instances, but the far-reaching implications are quite intense. Yes, and I would love to talk about this with you if you need help, because as a biologist... I have many thoughts about how life could evolve in these crazy situations. <laughs> I feel like we also need a chef involved here because you have to think about how the things with different biology are going to be prepared to eat by humans. Although, to be fair, humans are really well adapted to eat just like the widest variety of garbage. Like, most things that kill and or hurt other animals were just like sweet peppers spicy good and everyone else is just like are you fucking for real (laughs) you just need to see my shelf in the pantry yeah and you'll be able to (laughs) scope the full breadth of what humans can tolerably consume caffeine usually kept bugs and other things from eating plants humans are like oh sweet i feel like energized hell yeah 
There's like speculative alternate history plus speculative science fiction going on in this hub world. It's a little bit of a trepidation in if I establish something that does mean that all of its implications, all of its consequences will be there. You're also contending with characters that for the most part haven't had as drastic a shift in their society and might mostly be from worlds that are closer to where Earth is now. A lot of us could expect to get a bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that is available on Sequence Charter, but didn't really have to be. Oats are okay because those can be ingredients in parfaits, right? Correct. And parfaits I did establish were a thing. So. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but out of what milk? <laughs> <laughs> the laugh to the deadpan is what's getting me here. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's a hell of a thing. <laughs> After that scene, we make our way back to the world of song. The portal drops us off back in quarter note. Smug immediately makes a portal to rejoin Tyler and the Spit Valve. And you know what? I got a mixed success. Smog slams into wall and takes him. Oh, fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. You had not messed up the dark portal many times. There was like maybe one other time, but that definitely stood out to me. <laughs> Look, our boy's having an off day. It's, it's <laughs> been a pretty bad time. It's going to mess up his signature move. You know how it is trying to travel between worlds first thing in the morning? You barely just had your breakfast. Do like I? Like the car commute to work, but through dimensions. After that scene, we head immediately into the desert, start trekking towards the pyramid. God damn the desert. Sand. <laughs> high heat under a pink vaporwave sky and Symphonius, aka now the masked stranger wearing geysers long since discarded white secretive face mask passed out under a rock i assume that hannah barbera was taking this from something else but isn't there like some hannah barbera masked character who has this chick like this i couldn't i was trying to like search it up during the session i could not find Is it anything the horse one yeah, the one, the one with the guitar yeah. that smashes people, maybe? Okay, yeah. I feel like that's his shtick. And the masked stranger here is, is using it, maybe. I'm gonna have to be shown this. I think you guys might be shocked with how little of cognitive intention there is <laughs> behind <laughs> some of the decisions that are made. <laughs> Why was Synthodia sleeping there? because Smog tapped into the alternate timeline and discovered that Synthphonius would be waiting around the major points along their journey to the pyramid. So I was like, all right, they finished the scale. Synthphonius is going to be somewhere. Then Geyser threw away the mask after Smog and Geyser's conversation. So I'm like, Oh my god. Symphonius already has like a thing about Geyser, because Geyser threw a rock at him. Wouldn't it be hilarious if he picked up the mask <laughs> and in typical hero fashion became a sort of masked vigilante? Even though that doesn't really matter in this world, <laughs> I don't know if Symphonius effectively fooled anyone. So there was like a couple things that went into play at this scene when you guys got there in particular, because Tao had 
a move where if they had familiarity with a situation doing a deep dive, I ask them a question and they give the answer. The answer that Tao gave was that Sinfonius wearing this mask knew that there was bandits in this desert and they were trying to run around and find them. Couldn't find any, got all tired out. So they sat down and they fell asleep. Without, like, imposition, the idea that I had, and we kind of talked about this after this session, was initially that Synthonius was waiting there to surprise you all. So they were set up in a decent spot right after the Spit Valve Saloon. But you guys left, and you were gone for a couple days. <laughs> so I was thinking, like... <laughs> sitting there for so long <laughs> they fell asleep <laughs> and that's how you guys came upon them but I do like I'm very much in line with the version that was actualized through <laughs> Symphonius giving big Mr. L energy from Super Paper Mario <laughs> what Zach said instead is that Symphonius had gone out screaming about catching bandits, and that kept them away, and then just got tired in the middle of the desert and fell asleep. Yeah, why up to this point in your travels have you guys not seen any sign of bandits? And my thought was, they only pop out at night, because that's when it's easier to actually like ambush someone. If you run at someone in the desert <laughs> in the daytime, they're going to see you coming. It's a blank canvas around you. But I like the idea that Sithphodius was running around in the daytime, screaming and trying to find these guys. But obviously, he couldn't because it was the daytime. They weren't going to be out in the open. I like to think that he scared them off, not because they really feared him, but thought like there might be a trap or something. Like, if you're searching for us, there's something wrong with you, dude. <laughs> yeah, if you're seeking us out, you are a decoy for someone who's going to It's like, this is a distraction. This isn't an actual threat. I like how Sinfonius's own foolishness lends to his own protection and betterment. Absolutely. He's a hero. Yeah, is he? <laughs> I wanted very much an antagonist type who wholeheartedly thought that they were the hero of this story. Because I just love that idea so much. I just really like this move. Zach has GM'd a couple of times, but I think it's great for... A player to feel like, ooh, I have a little bit of the GM power, but also secretly be like, now you're training to be a GM. Because you have to answer the question. <laughs> that is definitely kind of a strength of interstitial and a side effect of how long this campaign has gone on for. It equips you all with things that normally would be me moving pieces around in response to your actions. It gives you different ways that you can affect the story and sculpt it, which is good because it's an equal agency for determining how it goes. From here, we keep walking into the evening and Symphonius wants out. <laughs> First and foremost, I love playing around with the idea that Symphonius insists that they're the masked stranger and not Synthphonius. Isiri doesn't even need the move to know when people are lying because it's such a bad lie. Like, I was like, no one is convinced of this. Synthphonius did not want 
to travel <laughs> with you all because after all you're the people he was training to beat in a music battle but a series very much intimidated yeah pony was like trying to recruit symphonia yeah. as their protection through the desert Pony was putting forth a convincing argument as for why Sithonius, e.g. the best stranger, should join them through their trip in the desert. And then Sithonius is just like looking past Pony and just seeing like Isiri be very scary in the distance. <laughs> as the traveling wore on throughout like the rest of the day, Sithonius like really wanted out. Especially because around nighttime, having not seen any bandits at all, it's like, uh, are we gonna get, like, attacked out here or anything <laughs> like that? <laughs> There's no need to worry. We're all very capable dance battlers here. <laughs> Which is kind of true. If Sithonius were to work with you all, I think you all would probably be unstoppable. <laughs> but it's a rockhead. Yeah. I just think it's funny because every person he talks to is like, I was there when actually, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many times he gets called out, but I do remember, that's my mask. Uh, Smug told me to get rid of it because it was too scary. (laughs) And then Sothophonius is like, uh, 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 uh. I don't know anything about that. I don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah, specifically, you all referencing things that you interacted with with Synthodius in the past, like your your personal history, and Synthodius going like, yeah, I mean, no, how would I know that? I'm the masked stranger. <laughs> Not very practiced at uh, the hidden alter ego. The flimsiest lie. The overt attempts at lying and manipulation that just doesn't work. <laughs> I had a terrible brain moment there where it was like, it's it's not subterfuge. What's the opposite of the sub part of subterfuge? It's domterfuge. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Blocked reported. Sammy, um, Michaela. <laughs> yes! That, I have a drawing I'm gonna do for Michaela later, so I'll show you. <laughs> Oh man, that's. <laughs> I'm gonna oh. change my name on Twitter to Dom. <laughs> I love that. Right now, it's concerningly bisexual. <laughs> oh my goodness! A Siri pounces at this chance for Symphonius to escape. Manages to keep him around and grabs one of those sweet instrument baubles off of him. Yes. I was telling Sammy after the session that Synthphonius does have the ability to teleport or lightning zap to a location. So if Asiri had not kept a good grasp on him, he would have bounced (laughs) and gone to somewhere pretty far away. But Asiri did some subduction and Asiri removed one of the instruments from Symphonius. Yes. And I have mixed feelings about my performance this last session because I am still trying to eke out exactly what a series new personality is. So I'm like, maybe I went a little too hard into the like, not give a shit because I have all these powers now. So I'm not like completely pleased with how aggressive a series was this last session, but I'm okay with it because 
On one level, they are a primal animalistic force of nature. It makes sense, and Charity has a track record of not liking Symphonius. <laughs> it's an understandable outlet for that aggression, but I do feel like I went a little too far this session, especially the second time Symphonius tries to grab their bobble and like run away. I think that was maybe a little uncalled for and aggressive. <laughs> I do understand if you're not feeling that character play but it was fun to play off of with us now having a rivalry yeah and having smog go up to tau and be like hey you got that thing i duped last time just give that to him if you can if you get it back from the scary so pissed about that it's not even funny and and i'm glad you did that because a it plays back into our rivalry but b from a serious standpoint, I am a mother figure. I'm taking care of this. I'm trying to give you every advantage I can. And you just shot yourself in the foot, you idiot. <laughs> like, See, Smog is being the father character, but to, to Synthonius. <laughs> Joku giving the sensei bean to sell. Literally. Literally. <laughs> Grandma is just being a little too disciplinary with grandchild like divorced parents god it was just so funny that Tao views smog as the leader of the party when if you asked maybe anyone else i feel like a serious answer would be like we're all in this together <laughs> nobody's really in charge i think smog would say like i don't think anybody's a leader but if i ever need to look to like the compass of where we're going next i'd probably ask pony first i guess <laughs> Geyser does think Smog is the leader, though. <laughs> I think it might have been somewhat influenced with how... Not manipulative, but maybe a little bit... How influential Smog was in the beginning. Yeah, And that was on purpose. Like, Smog was trying to grab up power. Exactly. Smog was sort of cozying up to, like, everyone in the offset. And sort of trying to get across that not like mentor aspect but that informative that like hey listen to me sort of like I'll, I'll show you what's good it's also that like shitty sundere thing <laughs> i'm gonna treat you like shit so you like me more that's what the dark is in in some aspects is yeah. like very sundere yeah in the book word for word the dark is supposed to be like the mystic but villainous. And the mm -hmm. mystic is supposed to be your arcane galaxy brain mentor, someone who is both revealing and keeping information from you so that you can learn and grow. Dark is very much like that, but for dark things instead. <laughs> it's the way they can have some very similar moves. Of the questions of leadership, I am very curious as to what Pony's opinion on this matter is, because Smog has acted as a mentor figure, but so is Asiri, so is Tao, so is, I guess, Geyser in some aspects, too. But at the same time, Asiri and Pony have had this, like, BFF thing going on, and I'm, like, <laughs> really down for it. Like, and anytime I can be like, hey, Pony, what do you think of this situation? I'm going to do that, because it's fucking great every time. <laughs> I have to ask Carolyn, but... I also wonder if Pony kind of sees Terra as the leader by proxy. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. They've been getting very close to, but it seems like Pony is very up for listening to their direction. Mm -hmm. That's so funny because that's not what Smog wanted to happen. He was like, you, you yeah. do need to learn how to fight from her. And that was about <laughs> the extent of what he was willing to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I kind of like that we're potentially forming like a mini rift because most of the games I've played, people have been pretty ride or die for the party. So I am very excited to play with faction rivalries. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of interfering. <laughs> it's so wild for Smog too, because at least as far as he remembers, like we are supposed to eventually get there, but he's not going to be too worried about what happens in the meantime either. Only so much you can influence in the timeline. Getting back to the scene, this is all to say that there were bandits that you guys absolutely removed from <laughs> a threat in proximity. Smog inadvertently revealed their location. Smog also teleported everyone just immediately to the pyramid afterwards. <laughs> I like this sequence of events because it's Symphonius just finished grappling with a Siri. Oldest trick in the book sort of thing. Hey, look over there! Nobody <laughs> looks because none of us believe a shit he says. And then uh, Smog in a display of cockiness is just like, alright, let's look over there. Blows the sand dune away and then there's a pot and pan bandit waiting to like get the drop on us. It creates genuine confusion for Smog because he was like, wait, did you actually know bandits were there and you were trying to point them out to us and <laughs> I revealed them actually? <laughs> that is another thing about Synthphonius. They are blessed with serendipity and <laughs> you all have seen the effects of this. They're able to get away with a lot just through sheer dumb luck. <laughs> Not nearly as much as actually planned out. It's one of the most cartoonishly funny scenes we've had in this entire fucking game. Yeah. I was so excited for you all to see some photos. There were another one that I'm like, oh, I'm putting them in this world and I cannot wait till <laughs> you run into them. Now that I'm thinking about there's definitely an extent to which I think of this game, because I think of most of my role-playing games in my mind's eye as animation for some reason. Yeah. And this is definitely the most Saturday morning cartoonish I've ever thought of a game. <laughs> oh, God, that works pretty well, huh? There are definitely some cartoonish heroes and villains. <laughs> we decide not to deal with the bandits, and Smog warps us all the way to the pyramids so we don't have to deal with the tribulations of the desert. I do want to say about the portal before we move on that... He makes a little line of pixels, and then Pony moves it out into a square. Love that. That's so I good. Pony was helping out how Smog had been establishing previously, like, hey, Pony, you'll be learning some magical stuff. But Pony seemed to be drawing from some of the things that Tara taught her through their own personal training. Because Tara, in the very least, learned how to pick up some small form of gravity magic and that's what pony called upon to help make that portal happen yeah we're moving towards this thing and i, I feel like we've been doing this in degrees because i was like you should be an onion knight which is a very like physical slash magical class we're moving towards pony embodying magic through her body rather than smogs doing it through his mind yeah the the physicality versus like a more traditional casting yeah mm -hmm. which i am obsessed with Pony cast hoof. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the pyramid and there's no door. Shocker. I'm trying to remember what I was thinking. <laughs> besides the fact that it would be cool if there was a mystery as to how to properly scale it. So I kind of got the idea at the moment that's like, what if there was actually a specific way to open the pyramid and we had a kind of interesting scene 
because Synthphonius had just gotten over trying to run away after struggling with Assyria a few times, but then they're like finally sitting put for a while, and everyone went about investigating this in a traditional puzzle sense. At some point, Smog hints to Geyser, and Geyser doesn't catch what Smog is saying at all, just looks. (laughs) (laughs) And then... After everybody else tries, then Geyser decides to, like, investigate. That's actually where we get the title for this episode, which is (laughs) Geyser Reconsiders Introspection. (laughs) (laughs) Mechanically, deep dives are heart rolls. While I started this campaign with a negative one heart stat, I now have a zero. So I was just like, oh, I have to do a deep dive? No. I literally said that out of character. And then I was like, wait a minute, I recently advanced due to smug forcing knowledge on me. <laughs> so I can give it a crack. Tao figures out that there's a music pattern that you have to sing and sings it and then it doesn't work. Guys are, after some introspection and deducing, figures out maybe not only one person should be singing. Everybody contributes to the song which i also in general think is really funny that geyser was the one to one figure out the puzzle and two in general decided to be helpful (laughs) in that moment (laughs) well that's not completely out of character because geyser does frequently decide to be helpful they often just are not helpful (laughs) in the world of ages Geyser is like, I'm going to get down to business and figure out what these wolves are about. It was a very <laughs> direct way of doing that. Yeah. But Geyser's fairly motivated to problem solve. Everybody contributes to the song in their own way. All the notes light up and it opens. I had no idea that you guys would bring Symphonius in your group and at least temporarily in the SoundCloud, it registers that Synthphonius <laughs> is part of the group. Also, that's the other hilarious one as well. <laughs> I think that was definitely the one you all pointed out, was that Synthphonius keeps saying that he's the masked stranger, but when he joins the group in the SoundCloud, your band name has featuring Synthphonius. <laughs> like a dead giveaway. <laughs> but the fact that it, it involved his joining in on your music playing i thought was cool yeah that's the first time they've helped us and also i appreciate how (laughs) i also appreciate how consistently dramatic symphonious is like this entire puzzle is like eight notes or like it's really short and then they like pull out the piano and they crack their knuckles and they're like all right let's get down to it like dude it's just a scale like calm down (laughs) symphonious physically cannot do anything without full enthusiasm. <laughs> God, if he's the one that comes through the portal to sequence charter, I worry. <laughs> I, worry I worry for Aura's sanity already, but this cannot help. This will not help. It's like Geyser without being evil. <laughs> Geyser with good intentions at the very least. Yeah. yeah. I want to know what the hell is up with the words that we see at the end of the many orchestra. Oh, well, maybe we could hear you all voice your thoughts on this. It's an orchestra. I wonder if 
Stradivarius here had a similar idea to us right now. Let's make a super group of the people that are already killing the charts. And that's how we get in. That's why there's an orchestra. And then fucking abandon them and beat them out of the rankings. And that's why they're standing alone at the top. Oh, wow. So like a K-pop label. <laughs> Hell yeah. I kind of get what you're going for. I don't know a lot about K-pop, but that makes sense to me. I know nothing like, about K-pop. So just for an overview, um, the music industry in Korea is horrible compared to the States. And that's saying something because there's no industry in the States that's like good for workers, especially creatives. But... um. <laughs> They make so much less money and they quite frequently just like refuse to pay their artists. A lot of times bands will just leave their labels or just stop performing altogether or break up or try to like transfer to the States to become popular here. The idea of like creating a super group to get to the top and then just abandoning them feels very specifically K-pop label to me. Obviously it's without trying to put many direct things into the world like not be super on the nose but that is absolutely something that i wanted to go for in this world how brutal the music industry is also the fact that there's a music industry which are two things that when you think about it should not have to mix that's why it's like everyone's names in this, like a type of popularity contest in something that's literally called the SoundCloud. Yeah, you literally get paid in clout. <laughs> <laughs> Getting paid in clout, yeah. Things like fashion being intertwined with the music industry as well is another thing that I kind of wanted to have a reference to. And even in a broader spec, trends. Constraining what people can just do is creative talents because... It has to be in an industry. Going back to the orchestra quote, the entire point of an orchestra is, yes, it is many constituents. You have each section of music, and within those sections, different instruments, of course. But the entire end product is one sound. So there becomes sort of a dichotomy over, and this is something I think anyone who learns an instrument in this particular setting has to struggle with, is making sure your part is heard, but you're not covering up anybody else who's a part of the ensemble and it takes years to learn that properly but it's interesting that here at the end that this is propagated right at the entrance i wonder if instead of having singular one-on-one challenges or like one-on-two challenges like we've had before we're just gonna get slammed with full orchestration ensembles as a challenge (laughs) at the end here because everyone's just sort of been sitting waiting under the command of stradivarius i wonder if we'll run into another conductor. I mean, a Stradivarius should be the complete instrument in its right, but will anyone else be like a baton? I don't know. We'll have to see. It is interesting. <laughs> I have I have many opinions on that statement because <laughs> as somebody who has conducted, I'll let you in on a secret. Functionally, the conductor has no purpose other than giving the first downbeat. A, a good orchestra or a good ensemble only needs that one point and they can stay together. But... <laughs> There's something about the showmanship and appeal of, and you know, not to say that the conductor does nothing. There are some other things like accenting and like controlling volume and that sort of thing. But the showmanship without real substance is the point here. (laughs) Yeah. I will say that you all have already met someone who has applied some conducting in their music battle. Yep. Can't wait to see that bite us in the ass, huh? (laughs) (laughs) 
So what would y'all have done differently? It's not as much as what I would have done differently. I was a little mentally tired. It did slow me down at some points, needing to think about some stuff. What I wish could have been different is if my brain was a little bit more rested. Maybe if I wrapped up my work a bit earlier, I could have mentally prepared myself a bit more. But I think all in all, it it turned out okay. I mean, I got to make a lot of fun and zany choices (laughs) and play in the smog being a little upset but not showing it through words. I had a fun time. No regrets this round. (gasps) I love that. The scene where I confronted everyone, I didn't exactly leave space for much dialogue. And if I had been quicker on my feet, I could have given some more time to let Isiri explain or like demand explanations from Isiri. I just kind of was like, you guys are not you. (laughs) And then we left. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the only thing. Yeah, well, if you want to continue that conversation later, I'm more than willing to do that with you, so. I would also be fine doing that as a player, as a character. I will say Smog <laughs> kind of feels over it at this point, so <laughs> might be moving away from it. But we can figure out ways players to make that happen. Yeah. And for myself, as I said earlier, I'm not really happy with how I played a series at this session. I think I was a way too aggressive. But the good news is that does leave opportunity for my favorite thing, which is repentance and atonement. We shall see. I do agree that I'm playing with strong forces here, and I do think some of the meekness is going to be replaced with a serious confidence. But I also think I stepped over the line into just cockiness and rudeness, which is not really what I want with her. Our next episode of the Saturday Morning Cartoon is an anti-bullying PSA. Yes! yes. <laughs> is it going to be hosted by, like, Sierra? <laughs> yes! <laughs> They're going to repurpose the Van Geyser sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he, he's going to now work on both Assyria and Geyser for <laughs> socializing y'all. Okay, I don't think he needs to work on Assyria. I think Assyria just needs a moment to be like, hey, I should just cool my jets a little bit. <laughs> True. <laughs> There's some things that Assyria still hasn't had the chance to understand Sure, yet. yeah. So, <laughs> human culture. The elusive humans. <laughs> humans. All right, let's get into the resolution phase, the segment of the show where we each get to say something about the game with no responses. What is your final say on this session, Daniel? I wonder who the real identity of the masked stranger is. Maybe we'll find out next time. For a plug this week, Forrest Gump, now on home video. Get it today. I don't have any social media, so you can find me in the break room. I am reheating my leftovers. It's halfway through, so I gotta stir it. What about you, dude? Women change, men change, but do clowns change? You can find me on Twitter at BacksliderD, on Instagram at IHadACowLOL, which is also my PSN name. We can exchange friend codes on Switch and play games together. I recommend you check out Kata Witch, Akata Warrior, and Akata Woman by Nady Okorafor. They're really good books. And they're also audiobooks. And it's a really nice way to experience that story. If you like Afrofuturism and fantasy and mystical stories, you'll get a kick out of that. 
What about you, Alex? We've been paying a lot of attention to Asiri and Smog's rivalry budding here, but we've also made some interesting developments with Smog and Tau. I wonder if this could be leading to the Drugal future. You can find me on Twitter at Shining Crobat. This week, I recommend the comics Paper Girls. That's right, I read them because I worry that the show will not be picked up anywhere for a second season. <laughs> the story is very similar. I recommended the show before. It is a coming-of-age story involving time travel about a group of four Paper Girls who get lost in the time stream on Halloween night. The comic is a little less grounded and about the human stories. There's a little bit more with the adult versions of the characters figuring out their own lives in the TV show, but the comics are so much more fantastical. They're bright and poppy. There's different monsters and explosions, things that get to happen because you don't have to worry about a budget. It is still a very interesting read, and I hope someday the rest of it is adapted because it probably only needs one more season. And for myself, we're entering the pyramid, and I know... Stradivarius is probably going to be a violin, but somewhere in my childhood brain, I'm just going to envision the pyramid tomb eye hands from Mario 64. You can find me perfectly preserved several thousand years later in the underlayers of that local bog. This has been Resolve, an afterplay show. You can find us online at most social media sites at Resolve AP. Except Instagram, which is at Resolve Afterplay. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. You can buy the game we're playing, Interstitial, Our Hearts Intertwined, from its creator, Riley Hopkins, at linksmithgames.com. All links will be included in the episode description. Thank you again for listening. We end our turn here, so now it's your turn. Tell us what's happening in your game.